Have you ever thought about the depth of meaning uh, connected with our nation's monuments? Uh, I have to tell you, over the years, I've kind of become a little bit of a student of our nation's more familiar monuments. Um, All of them beautiful, but each one tells a story. Each acts, I believe, as a page in our country's history, belying uh, many of the qualities that make America, America, our foundational beliefs, our fundamental values, our, our immutable truths that just make us who we are as a country. So for just a moment, I want you to picture with me one such treasure, namely Lady Justice. I want you to picture her with me. Her eyes are covered to indicate the nature of justice is what? Blind and impartial, without bias. She wears the traditional Greek or Roman toga, symbolizing what? The ancient foundations of justice. In her left hand is born a sword. You know why? Justice comes with a price. But I think inarguably her, her most prominent feature is the pair of scales in her hands. This is the task really of justice is to weigh the words, the actions, uh, the beliefs, the behaviors of mankind against truth itself, which is really what I love about our topic today. Uh, in our, our episode of God Size Living today, we're going to return to chapter five in Daniel's story. Last week, we left off with what I call one of the eeriest scenes in all the Bible, the disembodied hand. I mean, that's what it is, this disembodied hand writing on the walls of Belshazzar's Babylonian palace. So we're going to ask this question today. Uh, what was the handwriting or what was the handwriting on the wall? I want to look at some words with you today. I'm going to call them words from the wall. And as we do, I'm going to challenge us to think about how these words come underneath our understanding of justice today. If I could, if I could just place one question in front of us today, it's this. How does God's justice speak into or inform our quest for justice in the world today. Kind of interestingly, as we come around this podcast, justice is in the news, like literally. Uh, I turned on the news this past week and boom, here's one story about a verdict from a sensational sex scandal. Another, an equally scandalous case of investor fraud, and then there a third one, a high profile racial hate crime. And in all of them, victims demanding justice and wondering whether they would receive it or not. Um, I think more and more justice at both the micro and macro level takes center stage in our culture. Uh, I was thinking about this this past summer. I I read a book that I'm going to describe as one of the best books that I have read in decades. I read a ton of books. This is one of the best. If you don't know the name Vodi Bauckham, it's V-O-D-D-I-E Bauckham, B-A-U-C-H-A-M. I'm going to ask you to do this. I want you to pick up his book. It's titled Fault Lines fault lines. Vody over the years has been one of conservative Christianity's strongest and clearest voices. He's an African-American pastor. He's written over seven books. He's the dean of a, of a seminary, and he's never, ever shied away from controversy, and that's definitely true of this book, Fault Lines, where he's taking on really social injustice, the, the topic uh, here in the West. So what caught my attention as, I, as I'm reading it uh, is the is the idea that he presents that that George Floyd incident of 2020 has really acted as an accelerator in our culture. It's exploded the number of justice movements going on. And I think that's true. Uh, 
I tried this this past week. I just Googled justice movements. Try it. Just get your phone out and, and Google. So here's what happened to me. Nine different movements appeared, each representing probably thousands of passionate groups of people volunteering fervently to influence opinion and affect laws towards achieving what each one of them deems as just. Uh, you have voting justice, climate justice, healthcare justice, refugee justice, uh, racial injustice, gender injustice, eco-justice. So, so what I'm saying, and I'm just agreeing with, with Vody Bakum is, we're living in a time where everywhere people look, they see injustice to the degree that they're willing to invest their lives in seeking to achieve justice for all. So this raises a question that, that I think no one is really exempt from, including the church, about the very nature of justice itself and how achievable it truly is. Uh, here's what I find myself asking today. What does justice look like? Not, not from our vantage point here in this world, but from the vantage point of, of heaven. Here's what I love about Bodhi's book with sustained logic. He challenges the heart of many of today's justice movements, but the most important thing he offers is his description of what he calls gospel justice or the justice of the cross, which is where I, I believe chapter five of Daniel's book takes us today. I want you to come back with me to the, to the story of Daniel again. Last week, we left Belshazzar, king of Babylon, collapsing. Can't think of a better word for it. He's collapsing in terror. I think I would have too. In the middle of his alcohol-fueled orgy, God steps in to disrupt with what? A word of justice. Spent a lot of time on this last week, so I'm not going to rehash it. But I want you to picture the scene again. Uh, Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, has gathered his leaders together in this, this upper room. And he's, he's trying to convince them of what? That Babylon is is impenetrable. Our walls are impenetrable. No, no enemy can come against him. And as he's talking, this disembodied hand, most likely an angel's manifested hand, appears and begins to write on the wall. Now, we didn't talk about this last week, but the question is, what did the hand write? I'm just going to read this verse from um, chapter 5. This is verse 24. Here are the words that the hand writes. It says, uh, Then from his presence the hand was sent, and the writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed. Here are the words. Listen to them. Many, many, tekel, and parson. What, what, is, what is that? So, um, guess what? Belshazzar didn't know. He, he couldn't read it nor could anyone else in the room. So, so why not? Why couldn't they read it? You know, over the years, people have, I have offered a number of options. The first one, people said, well, they couldn't read it because it was heavenly language, a disembodied hand, heavenly language, but it's not true because guess what? The, the handwriting on the wall was Aramaic. People should have been able to read it. They couldn't. Why? Some people say, well, they couldn't read it because the words were written uh, vertically instead of horizontally. They're used to horizontal writing. Um, I, I don't buy that either. You remember Rembrandt in 1635 when he painted this scene, painted the words on the wall that, that way, vertically. But remember this word with me, typoglycemia. Linguists tell us that 
our minds are able typologically of, of reading all kinds of linguistic constructs. And certainly someone would have picked out the words um, on the wall. Option three, code language. Now, Aramaic did have a code language. It's called Atbash. Atbash actually reversed the order of the alphabet. So an A would become a Z or a B would become a Y. And so some people go, well, that, that's what was happening is this was just code language. Not really. I think it's this, that God caused the Babylonians to be unable to read this language. And I think that's what we pick up uh, here in our, our text, our story. I'm going to read, and Lord, we're just going to ask you that you give us insight. Would you give us insight? I'm going to just read this large chunk of scripture. This is uh, chapter 5, beginning verse 13 to 23. And I just want you to, to think about uh, the significance of what is being said uh, here uh, in this text. Okay, um, here we go. Verse 13 says, Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king said to Daniel, You are Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I've heard of you, that the spirits of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now, the wise man, the enchanter, has been brought in before me to read this writing, to make known its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation. But I've heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you will be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck. You will be the third ruler in the kingdom. And then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. I don't, I don't want your gifts. Nevertheless, I will read this writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation O king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples and nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive, whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast. His dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. Now listen to these words. And you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, Though you knew all of this, but you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. That was a good chunk of scripture. I, I just wanted to lift up a key thought here, and then I want to uh, close out with a couple of questions. Um, here's what I want you to see. What's going on in this story? Daniel is painting, isn't he? A picture for Belshazzar of justice. I'm going to put a word on the table here because uh, I think it fits today. And the word is shalom. Shalom. What is it? It's God's vision for a just world. I love uh, Tim Keller's definition of the word uh, shalom. Tim is a well-known pastor from, from New York City. Here, here's what he says. He, the word shalom, of course, is, is just interpreted peace, but there's so much more. Here's, the, here's his definition. is Shalom is the webbing together of God and man 
in all of creation to create universal flourishing and wholeness. I'm going to say this as simply as I can. When you have shalom, you have, you have no injustice. You don't have racial injustice, eco-injustice, immigrant injustice. You have no injustice. You know why? Because you have a world where, to use Keller's definition, flourishing is happening for all. It's what God desired for Nebuchadnezzar. It's what he desired for Belshazzar. And yet, guess what? What did, what did we just read? Both of them hardened their hearts against God. They, they wouldn't have it. They would not have it. And so the handwriting on the wall, many, many take a parson. What does it mean? It means Babylon has been weighed. Think of the scales of justice. Has been weighed and has been found lacking. Babylon, you're getting ready to be judged. So what, what does this have to do with justice and our quest for it in our world today? A couple of thoughts for us before we close. So the first thought is this. What, what really is the church's role in mankind's quest for justice? And I want you to get this. I don't think this question is political. It's more theological than political. So what, what is God's calling on the church when it comes to justice? Of course, we could, we could write books on this and go for hours, but let, let me just put this into this simple idea that, that I believe God does have a vision for shalom in, in our world. But it, it can't happen, not in our broken world. And it isn't part of the church's role in our world to serve as truth tellers that point to one thing. That's the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you remember Jesus, uh, when he was talking to his disciples, uh, said this one time, he says, the poor you will always have with you. Is there injustice in our world? Yes. Will there always be poor? Yes, you will have that. Now, why does Jesus say that? Is he, is he not able to, to solve the problem of, of injustice, the, the problem of poverty? Of course he could. But he's after a different kind of poverty, the poverty of the heart. He's pointing people in our broken world no matter how unjust it is, to find their hope, not, not in the political systems of our world, but in, in what? In him, in his cross. Which leads me to the second, I think, key question. How does scripture, and, and particularly the story of the cross or what Vody Bauckham calls gospel justice, how does it bring hope to us in a world that is wrought with injustice? So I, I was thinking about this, that chances are good Every one of us listening to this podcast will suffer injustice at some point in our life. We're going to. Some, some pretty significant injustice. When we do, I want you to know this. You're in good company. Daniel suffered injustice, as did his Judean companions. In fact, to read the Bible, what is it? It's to read a long line of names of people who experienced this world's injustice, whether it was Tamar, who was subjected to injustice by a patriarch, no less, or Paul, who was in prison, Israel, in slavery, um, whether it's the, the unnamed woman of Judges 19, who, who's raped by people who call themselves God followers. I mean, we could go on. The list goes on and on and on. And of course, what do we have? Modern day example after example after example whether it's Castro subjecting his people, whether it's Hitler who is killing the Jews, whether it's Herod in his time who, who kills the babies and Jesus. We can just go on and on. 
But the greatest injustice in all of the Bible, I think all of us can name it in one word, is the cross. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen, the justice of the cross means one thing. It represents what happened when God took all of what was due to you and me and placed it on Jesus Christ. Think about this. In the moment of his death, Jesus Christ could have cried out, unjust. This is unjust. I have done nothing wrong. Instead, you remember what he cried out? Paid for. Father, their sin is paid for. Justice is done. I want to close out this podcast by recognizing with you that to live in a, a world where there is injustice is to live in and with and under the justice of the cross. It's to know hope. It's to find meaning and peace, even in the most unjust of circumstances. As followers of Jesus Christ, I think we ought to seek justice for all. That, that ought to be our intent. But I think we should know this, that our greatest role is to offer the world what Lady Justice cannot, the justice of the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, that's it for today. I'm, I'm going to sign off. I hope this is a blessing to you, and I hope you pass it on to someone else this year. I'm looking forward to that uh, the next podcast and to just continue to move into 2022. I hope you're living at God-sized. I will see you next week.